0: Welcome to So Dead, a podcast where we make you feel like family, even though you're not. Or maybe you are. Our moms could seriously be our only listeners. We really don't know.
1: I'm Jen Carpenter. And I'm Danny Fairman. Happy True Crime Tuesday, everyone.
0: And happy Taco Tuesday, girls and boys. <laughs> Today, we're going to be talking about some of the most infamous killers in Michigan, the keyhoes.
1: If you're local to mid-Michigan, chances are you know exactly who we're talking about. But if you don't, buckle the fuck up, because this is a ride.
0: Two horrible men, both with the last name Kehoe. One of them is responsible for the worst school massacre in American history, and the other is responsible for one of the most horrific murders in mid-Michigan history. On one of our tour routes, we cover one of the Kehoe cases, and it never fails. The other one always comes up with people either asking me or telling me that these two men are related. But are they? Before we talk about their possible connection, let's talk about what made them infamous in the first place.
1: So about five miles north of East Lansing, Michigan, there's a small town called Bath. Um, it was established in 1864, and it didn't even have electricity until 1927. And in fact, the day that the utility company was in town hooking up the electricity is when all of these terrible events happened. So, I'm going to just kind of start before that, though. Um, it was 1872, February 1st. Andrew Kehoe was born to Philip and Mary Kehoe in Tecumseh, Michigan. He did attend Michigan State College, which is now Michigan State University. Michigan
0: State University. So, where Fogun. where does that
1: leave us now? We're, we're two and two now, aren't we? Yeah. Darn it. I know, right? There's more. There's more of those Wolverines out there. I know it. Um, he did, He studied engineering, and that is where he met his future wife, Nellie Price, who is or was, she's no longer around, um, was the daughter of a wealthy Lansing family.
0: Nellie, we're, we're not laughing that you're we're, dead. We're no. laughing that
1: we're stupid. Yeah. I'm so talking about you in present tense, and... It's not it. It's fine. It was in the 1800s. Um, okay, so while he was in college, his mom died. He did not take that very well. But afterwards, he moved to St. Louis, Missouri, and he was working as an electrician. And while on a job, he fell and oh. suffered a head injury. Oh, no. I think that's probably where this all started. It's okay. always the head injury. All
0: true crime fanatics know that a head injury leads to nothing good. Nothing good. If you trace back um, killers, and, and I, I don't want to generalize and say, oh, I mean, I'm, I've am i had a few head injuries and I've not <laughs> killed anyone. Yet. But when you trace that back with, with a lot of killers um, in their childhood, um, in so many cases you will find that there was a severe head injury right. that kind of changed their personality mm-hmm. and led them down this path that we're about to go down with Andrew. Yeah,
1: Um Dark path for sure. So this injury left him in a two week coma. And then after this, he moved back home with his father because he was having issues. I'm assuming taking care of himself. Not a hundred percent sure on that, but, um, maybe he just missed his dad. Yeah. He needed you know? a daddy. Well, his dad was remarried and he was married to Francis Wilder who was only three years older than Andrew, Oh shit. who's like one of the youngest of like 13 kids. So she's so like a kid age to him. That, like, go that dad. That had to be, go dad. <laughs> that
0: had to, and that was not uncommon at all back then for a much older man to marry right. a, a young woman that could give him more children after his wife, his own age had passed because she gave him, what did you say, 13 children? Yeah, you
1: don't need more kids, guy. Right, right. You don't need them. Right especially when you're spewing off things like Andrew Kehoe. You don't need him. So he did not like his new mommy. Um, He resented her, and they just did not get along at all. So in 1911, Francis was severely burned by the family's stove when it exploded as she was attempting to light it. It is... Said that Andrew tried, and I'm doing air quotes right now, tried to help. She is doing air quotes right now. Put the fire out on Francis, but didn't help a ton. Well, what he Kinda did. Kind of just watched. Watched her burn. Watched her burn. What he did was it was
0: an oil fire, and you don't use water on an oil fire. right? And he knew that, and he did it anyways, so he purposely made it But worse. he only
1: used like one bucket. Yeah. So well, even if it wasn't an oil fire, like dude, try a little harder. Yeah. And she later died of her injuries. And she insisted that the stove had been tampered with. I wonder how she knew.
0: He from what I've read, they were alone in the kitchen, the two of them, when it happened. So I almost wonder if he said something or reacted in a certain way. Right after it happened, right. that that would let her know that he knew.
1: Shady, you don't kill your parents, even if no. they are your step parents. No. Speaking as a stepmother,
0: yes, I'm a stepmother as well, and I can only <laughs> hope that my stepchildren will not burn me to death someday. Right? Don't tamper with the stoves. You can cook me dinner, though. I'm just trying to make you some damn
1: macaroni and cheese, okay? Right. <laughs> That does not require the stove. Um, yes, it, what? No, no. You have to buy the microwave ones. Ew. No, that's all we get. Three come and a half minutes. It's done. Gross. Okay. So anyway, about a year later, this is way before macaroni and cheese was even invented. <laughs> How do you know that? It has to be. I
0: think, I don't know. I'm going to look it up. instant
1: mac and cheese didn't come out until well,
0: microwaves. way after the 1800s. Nor did microwaves, though. So.
1: Right. Those were like 80s, so right. yeah, we're good. So this is way before the instant mac and cheese. Um, so about a year after Francis dies, um, Andrew marries Nellie. And by 1919, they bought a farm in the village of Bath, Michigan, which is where the heart of this story takes place. Yes. So he was elected treasurer of the Bath Consolidated School Board. So... When we say consolidated school, I think it's important to think about back in the 1800s, early 1900s, when you go through these towns and they have those one-room schoolhouses. Right. This was like a big thing now where they're, it's like the schools are today. They have multiple rooms. It's like the way high schools are set up or any right. of the schools now. It's not one room. So to them, it was a consolidated school.
0: Right. It was basically the whole community going to school at the same place
1: um,
0: and being separated by age, whereas before all kids of all ages went to the same school and they were separated by their geographic location.
1: There was a little school every few miles. Yes. Yep. Yep. Um, While on the board, he fought for lower taxes because he did not have children that went to these schools. Or now this school, so he did not want to pay any of these taxes for um, the school. For the school, right? Which, let's be real, nobody really wants to pay more taxes for anything, <laughs> right?
0: Right. And when they brought the the bath school, uh, when they voted to build it, um, they passed a tax millage at the same time, right? So that was what he was fighting against was these extra taxes that right. the school had created for homeowners in Bath,
1: right? Um, he was known to be the person at the heart of every argument with every other board member. Um, he notoriously argued with the superintendent, who is, and I do not know if I'm going to say his name right. I know Jen knows his name. It's Emery Hook. Hook? I think I say hike, but hike. I don't know if that's okay. right. Like hike. 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 <clears throat> Sounds good to me. It also helps clear the throat. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> see um andrew was i'm going to just refer to him as emory andrew was accusing emory of financial mismanagement and they fought constantly right because emory hikes um primary goal was to further the
0: school and better the school so not only was that initial tax for building the school, but then he wanted money for better books and money for this and money for right. that. And Andrew was already fighting against that original tax, so he was always the one to fight him on any anything else. And, I mean, schools right. need supplies and upgrades
1: yep. and all of those things. As they still do. Right. Um So after his three-year term was up, this is Andrew's, um, he was defeated in the 1926 election. So now he's passed. Right because he the community the, did not elect him right he got on the school
0: board to try to get the taxes lowered and instead they voted ignored him, him
1: and voted him out.
0: yep mm-hmm. he's
1: not winning at all not winning at all. he also started struggling financially um he did stop making payments on his home um and he was also not making his tax payments so so he I was spending- taxes up but doesn't mean' You're You're not, not even gonna pay paying him, him at all. <laughs> And at this point, Nellie had been in and out of the hospital due to tuberculosis. Mm. Super sad. And, of course, hospital bills just makes that debt grow bigger and bigger. Um, okay, so this is where we're at. His wife is super sick, causing him financial issues. He lives in a town that's, as he sees it, against him. He's paying high property taxes because of a new school or not paying them. He's being billed. Right. He's being billed. (laughs) (laughs) He's being put in debt and he basically just hates life at this point. He hates everyone. And he probably feels that life hates him. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So on May 18th, 1927, he sets his farm on fire. Oh my. In that farm... Is his dead wife, who he had killed earlier within the last two days, is what authorities have later said. Between May 16th and the 18th, he had killed his wife, and then on the 18th, set the farm on fire. Oh. He's dr- He leaves his house. He's driving to the school. During the time he's driving, um, there's an explosion, and the explosion is at the school, um, the children and faculty were prepping for graduation ceremonies and they basically, some of them have said that they just felt themselves raising up into the air. Oh they never even heard anything. They were just like mid air floating. Um, but of course everything came crashing down and it scattered desks, books, teachers and children all over, um, as rescuers started arriving to the school, Andrew Kehoe pulled up in his truck, and the superintendent, superintendent Emery, runs over, starts delegating help. You know, this is where we need you. Run right. here, run there. Andrew says, "I'm taking you with me," and they start struggling. And Andrew Kehoe takes his gun. I. They're struggling over the gun that Andrew Kehoe has in his hand. Right. He takes his gun, points it into his car, shoots, and then his truck explodes. He detonates the truck, basically. Because the truck was
0: also full of shrapnel and explosives. Yes. Mm-hmm.
1: So, killing himself, Emery, and then another little boy who had just survived the initial explosion. Yep. He was running home. Yeah. I mean, so. rotten man. So, on this day, 45 people, most of whom were children, were killed in the Bath School bombing. 58 others were injured. Half of the school collapsed when Andrew Kehoe detonated over 1,000 pounds of explosives that he had planted under the school over the course of several months while working as the school's janitor. Luckily, only 200 pounds of dynamite actually exploded, which is the reason that only half of the school collapsed instead of the whole building.
0: Here's a fun fact about the half that didn't go off. Um, It was buried under the school, kind of in, you know, the school's in shambles. It's it's collapsed completely, and so it's all just small passageways and tunnels. They were sending children in to pull out the undetonated explosives because that was all that fit. Um, adults couldn't fit in the space.
1: Isn't that crazy? Oh, how they did things different. (laughs) The 1920s boy. Right? No, my kid wouldn't be doing that. That's for sure. Um, so this is the deadliest act of mass murder in schools in U.S. history. Still to this day. To this day. day. Because
0: schools, there we used to live in a world where schools weren't under attack on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, now we do. But even with all of the horrible things that have gone on in our schools, this is still the worst. The worst.
1: That's crazy. So sad. So authorities arrived at his farm, which was still ablaze. And they found a sign on the fence that Kehoe had wrote and it said criminals are made not born so basically blaming other people yeah, for no what he accountability did. at right. all so his sister eventually claimed his body and buried him in Mount Rest Cemetery in St. Johns yeah cuz they wouldn't have him in Bath. Um, right. There
0: there are two cemeteries in Bath where the children are split between, um, but they would not allow for him to be buried there. Right.
1: And his grave is unmarked. Yes. So if you do go there, you will probably not find him.
0: I've actually read that um, they didn't bury him in the cemetery. They put um, an unnamed marker, but they actually put his remains outside the gate because they didn't want him either. <laughs>
1: I don't know if that's true, that's but I've read that. That's crazy to think about. Mm-hmm. Um, Nellie's remains were claimed by her family and she's buried in Lansing under her maiden name. Good. So good for them. You know, we talked in a previous episode about yep, the, people who the kill wives being yeah. buried next to their husbands. And this is the opposite. So good. kudos to her family, the prices. Um, that is my story of Andrew Kehoe, probably Bath's worst Crime ever. I mean, it's I definitely
0: Bath's worst crime ever. One of the worst crimes ever in US michigan And like you said, the worst school shooting, mm-hmm. not shooting, massacre, school massacre um, in U.S. history. So mm-hmm. we visit um, the site of the Bath school bombing on one of our tours. That's kind of mm-hmm. why I interjected so much as I've yep. been telling this story for years. So sorry about that.
1: No, um, the more information, the better. And Jen is such a good storyteller that it's like, I you got to interject. Um also I'm just going to remind people the tours. Oh god. We talk about them every episode because they're I mean, they're kind of what brought us together, they I are. think and they are for sure. And they're important. I mean, they're so they're exciting and Interesting. But anyway, it's Demented Mitten Tours. An interesting fact. um, The story about Bath is actually
0: what brought the tours about to begin with. Um, I'll just real briefly tell this story, but uh, my family and I had gone on a vacation to Chicago over spring break a few years ago. And when I was looking for a hotel to stay in, uh, I found this hotel that had really good rates called the Congress Hotel. Um, And you know, you got to be careful when you're picking anywhere you're going. You know, if you're not familiar with the area, you need to be careful where you're choosing a hotel. So I, I was a little leery, you know, why is this hotel so cheap type Thing, Uh, so I started researching it. The Congress Hotel is supposed to be Chicago's most haunted and one of the most haunted in the country. Uh, H. H. Holmes, my good old buddy, Mm -hmm. used to pick up victims from there. He'd he'd wait around in the lobby, and when women would come in and say, "Um, "You know, I need a room," and they'd say, "Sorry, we're full," he'd say, "Oh, ma'am, I have a hotel." (laughs) Yeah, you you do. You don't have a hotel. You have a fucking murder castle, buddy. (laughs) But um, anyway, so. In researching the Congress Hotel, I found this company called Weird Chicago Tours, which Mm -hmm. I recommend to anyone traveling to the Windy City. Uh, We did one of the tours, and it was just a really cool experience. Um, Didn't really think much of it. You know, That's spring, we move on to summer, um, and my son and I are at a... Baseball game out in Bath, and it's hot as shit, um, which right now,
1: today, what is it right now? (laughs) It was in the negatives this morning. Like 11 below when I checked my phone, so bring on those 90
0: degrees. No, I'd prefer this to the 90, actually. Mm -mm.
1: No? A good 65.
0: Well, yes, (laughs) but if I have to choose between cold and hot, I'm choosing cold. I am with you. Good.
1: Good. Uh, But not the snow.
0: Yeah, I don't like the snow.
1: Anyway, anyway,
0: so uh, we're sitting in the car between games trying to cool down and I tell him, you know, hey, you know, something really crazy happened here a long time ago. And I tell him what I know about the Bath School bombing, which is not much at the time. And um, he said, just kind of offhand, he's like, wow, that's crazy. Somebody could do one of those weird Chicago tours about that. And I said, yeah, they could, because then you could also <laughs> go here and here and talk about this and talk about that. And I was like, someone could totally do that. Mm-hmm. And then it was, well, I could do that.
1: Yeah, you could, and you do, I do. so well.
0: Aw, thank you. So every time we're on a tour, uh, someone comes up to me and either asks me or tells me, um, you know, Andrew Kehoe's great-great-grandson was also a murderer. Or, you know, Andrew Kehoe is related to John Kehoe, who was a murderer in Lansing. Um, and, and I hear that a lot, uh, enough that I had to look into it so I would kind of know how to answer the question when I got it. Um, Andrew Kehoe, Bath school bomber, John Ortiz Kehoe was convicted of the brutal 1993 slaying of a Lansing teenager. Rose Marie Larner was born on August 19, 1975. She was the middle child and only daughter of Bill and Rose Larner. Her parents divorced when she was four, and she grew up in her single mother's South Lansing home with an older brother and a younger brother. The Larner children were close in age and were the best of friends growing up, even though they were said to fight like cats and dogs. When Rose was eight years old, she and her brothers got into a rock-throwing fight with the Brown Brothers, who lived just a couple of streets over. Following the battle, one of the Brown Brothers, Billy, became one of Rose's best friends. As a child, Rose was a tomboy and a straight-A student. She was religious and rebellious, thoughtful and hot-headed. She started fights, she got into trouble, but she also aspired to become a police officer someday. She was a handful, but she was one of a kind. And through it all, Billy Brown was by her side. They went to elementary school, middle school, and high school together. They built tree forts together and celebrated Rose's 16th birthday together. Following some very turbulent teenage years, Rose earned her GED in June of 1993 when she was 17 years old. That summer, she met John Ortiz Kehoe, an aspiring rapper in the area. He was a friend of Billy Brown's. Rose was smitten. The two began dating, and that October, Rose asked her mother if John could move in with them because he had nowhere to stay. Her mother agreed, but he only stayed with them for a short time. When Rose's mother found out John was stashing guns and huge wads of cash in her house,
1: she kicked him out. Right, like as one should do. I mean, how generous to even allow him to stay there. Right. And then... Just to take advantage. Right. But it... Gotta go. Sounds like... Bye. that was kind of
0: <laughs> bye sounds like that was kind of what he did. Um, so shortly after Rose's mother kicked John out of the house, he broke off his relationship with Rose, Of course he did. And she did not take that rejection well. She was still in love with John and she pursued him relentlessly in an attempt to win him back on more than one occasion, he threatened to kill her if she didn't leave him alone. By November of 1993, their relationship was completely toxic. In one incident, uh, Rose rammed her car into John's truck following an argument at a house party, and her friend Billy Brown had to make sure that she got home safely that night.
1: So you're saying she was a she-tiger? She was a she-tiger. Okay. Like she it. knew what she wanted. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and what 17-year-old girl who had their heart broken did not have those kind of reactions? You know, like, you've hurt me. And it, now exactly. I'm pissed at you.
0: And as we'll hear a little more, um, he didn't just break up with her and move on. Right. Um, he he definitely still left some things up in the air to where sure. it would be understandable that she would remain emotional about the situation. Mm-hmm. So, on Monday, December sixth, nineteen ninety-three. Rose worked the night shift at a local pizzeria and arrived home just before midnight. A short time later, she left again and went to her mother's place of work, which was just up the street. Just before 1.30 a.m., Rose arrived at the Quality Dairy on the corner of Miller Road and Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard in Lansing. She and her mom talked for a bit before Rose left to go out with friends. Um, her mother said that she had a strange feeling, and so when Rose left to walk to her next destination, her mother asked her to take her vehicle, her van Mother's that she'd driven to work. Mother's intuition, right? Mother's intuition. She knew something was wrong. She felt like Rose was in trouble, mm-hmm. and she really wanted her to take the van. Um, Rose insisted that she wanted to walk, so she and her mother exchanged I love yous, and Rose left the convenience store at about one thirty in the morning. Her mother would never see her again. Hmm. Rose wasn't in her bed when her mother arrived home that morning following her overnight shift. Now, that's not too too far out there. Rose is 18 no. at this point. She's right. done with school. She's an adult. Um, she went out at one thirty in the morning. It's probably, <laughs> what, 8, right. 9 in the morning, and she's not home. So right. uh, maybe a cause for a bit of concern, but not huge but alarm maybe bells. she stayed the night somewhere. And remember, this was before the age of cell phones. So right. if anything, she had a beeper. Right. I had a beeper. Did you have a beeper? I had a beeper. Mine was turquoise.
1: <gasps> so was mine. Oh my gosh. And I used to at night hang it on my curtain that was next to my bed so that if somebody buzzed me, I'd it see it. It would shake your curtain. Uh huh. It
0: would just shake the shake the windows. Yeah,
1: because I was so important and needed that beeper.
0: Yes, absolutely.
1: So embarrassing.
0: So, no immediate way to get a hold of her daughter is what we're trying to say. Beepers right. were not the most reliable. Um, So Rose's mother, you know, went to sleep for a few hours, got up, and went to her second job. Um, So this is a Tuesday, and Rose was supposed to work. She didn't show up for work, and she didn't even call in, and she was a very reliable worker. She always did one or the other. Um, Rose's mother arrived home from her second job the following morning, Wednesday. Rose still wasn't there. So at this point, she's been gone two days. She's missed work. uh, No phone call no note. So now we're worried.
1: Right. Uh, and her mom's never never sleeps. Right. Sounds like. Right.
0: So her mother knew something was terribly wrong, but having an incommunicado 18 year old can be pretty complicated. Sure. Because quite honestly, the police don't fucking care. Uh, And at 18, Rose couldn't even be classified as a a runaway. She was a grown woman. Right. Um, Which that whole thought terrifies me, Mm -hmm. you know. Um, Runaways or adults just taking off on their own. That doesn't happen as often as bad things happen. Um, Right. And so, I mean. But their first
1: reaction is usually they probably went on their own. Exactly. Which is causing you to lose time. Exactly. So which is so important I'm in person. Your kids are little.
0: Exactly. Your kids are little. One mm-hmm. of them goes missing. You've got the police force right. on it. Um my my kids are sixteen and twenty right. now. Right. So if one of them just didn't come home, I can't even the fear alone and then to have the police tell you, like, right. sorry, we don't care.
1: It's like um, a new fear that maybe I don't have.
0: Yeah. So I just I can't even imagine that initial fear alone that you don't know where your child is and you call the police for help. And because of your child's age, it is, you know, hey, if they want to take off, that's their prerogative or Well, your child's a teenager, so they probably just ran away. I mean, that would be so heartbreaking and so frustrating because moms know their kids. I mean, we may be in denial about things here and there, but we know our kids. And if I'm telling you something is wrong and this is not like my son and I need your help, then I need your help. That's right. Um, But Rose's family didn't get that help, at least not right away. So they did the searching themselves. They searched in parks They searched in Mm. ditches. They searched up and down roads of the areas she was known to frequent. They knocked on doors. They made phone calls. And by the Thursday after Rose went missing, there were missing posters everywhere. And everyone was talking about Rose Larner, the pretty teenage girl that went missing from the Quality Dairy on Miller Road. Mm -hmm. I remember these flyers, too. So Quality Dairy, for those of you that aren't local to the Lansing area, is a chain of convenience stores known for their locally made ice cream donuts chocolate milk and above all else their chip dip um if you are not from around lansing do yourselves a favor the next time you drive through the city stop at a qd grab a tub of chip dip and a bag of better made chips
1: yes i promise
0: you won't regret it Mm -hmm. and if you are from lansing and you've never had qd's chip dip for shame move move just move You don't get to live here anymore. <laughs> Let someone else move in that will appreciate the glory that is this quality get dairy is. And to, so, just to put things into perspective, um, Danny and I both grew up and lived within two miles of this quality dairy mm-hmm. that Rose Lerner disappeared from. We were both 13 when she disappeared. So this happened in our neighborhood mm-hmm. to a girl who was just a little bit older than us. Um, so this this was a very real thing to us as children. Now, I didn't know the Larner family, but I know a lot of people that did and I, still do. I do. Danny knows the family, and that's part of the reason I'm the one telling this story. Right. It's a little close for me, so. It is. Um I vividly remember the pit that I would get in my stomach every time I would see one of Rose's missing posters. Mm -hmm. And then as they started to kind of yellow and rip and fade over time, it was just so upsetting. Um, Because I think we all knew by that
1: point that Rose wasn't coming back. Right. But you were seeking that answer. Yes. You know, you kind of had a glimpse into what her family was feeling. Exactly.
0: So Rose was missing for a week before police got involved. Detective John Cotty launched an investigation after speaking to Rose's mother and getting a gut feeling that something was very wrong. One of his biggest concerns was that Rose was addicted to the telephone. She made about 1,200 outgoing calls a month. Stop. 1,200. Yeah, but we probably, I mean, think of how many text messages you send. True. But a phone call is a lot longer than a text. Um, And she ran her mother's phone bill up over $300 (laughs) some months, which in the 1990s, that was a lot of damn money. Mm -hmm. Uh, She had been gone for a week and hadn't made one single phone call, not to anyone. Hmm. Um, So the Lansing Police Department conducted a large scale search. They combed the entire South side of Lansing, brought in helicopters and questioned anyone and everyone that knew Rose. Many of Rose's friends believe that the last person to see her the night she disappeared was her childhood friend, Billy Brown. Brown and his family insisted Rose had been with another man that night, her ex-boyfriend, John Ortiz Kehoe. But the tips led nowhere, and for over two years, the fate of Rose Larner remained a mystery. It wasn't until April of 1996 that there was a break in the case. As it turned out... Rose's old friend, Billy Brown, who'd been by her side her entire life, was right there with her when she died, and the guilt and pressure finally broke him. According to Billy, after Rose left the quality dairy the night her mother last saw her, she went to his house, which was only about a mile and a half away. She asked him to get a hold of her ex, John, so the three of them could hang out. John agreed to come over, and at about 3 a.m., the three of them left Billy's house and drove to the city of Albion, which is about 40 miles south of Lansing. John's grandparents had a home there, but they were out of town. On the way to Albion, they stopped at a grocery store, and John went in alone. He came out with a heavy bag that he tossed into the bed of the truck. He told Rose and Billy that it was things for the night's festivities. The trio arrived at John's empty family home and proceeded to party into the early morning hours. Around 5 a.m., they all took a shower together, and when they were finished, John left the room while Rose and Billy got dressed. Rose was brushing her hair in front of the bathroom mirror when John approached from behind her and wrapped a cord around her neck. She laughed at first, thinking he was joking, but he wasn't. He used the cord to strangle Rose in his grandparents' bathroom as Rose's best friend looked on. When Billy asked John what he was doing, John said, The bitch has got to go, and that's what's going to happen. Over the course of the next several hours, John dismembered Rose's body, burned parts of her in a fireplace, then drove 100 miles north to a cabin owned by Billy Brown's family where they burned the rest of her body in a fire pit and then spread her ashes along the highway on the way back home. Nobody, no crime, they told themselves. Or, you know, if you want her to leave you alone, maybe stop sleeping with her. Right. Maybe leave her alone. Right. And then she'll leave you Let alone. Let her
1: heal from the breakup.
0: But instead, we're going to brutally murder a teenage girl. Right. So, following Billy's shocking confession, uh, police found forensic evidence to support his story, and warrants were issued for both him and John Ortiz Kehoe. Brown turned himself in, but Kehoe was on the run. An international manhunt began, and he was arrested in Mexico four months later in August of 1996. In exchange for his testimony against Kehoe, Billy Brown pleaded guilty to being an accessory after murder. And he was sentenced to one year in jail. Kehoe went to trial in 1997. He was found guilty of first-degree murder and sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole.
1: I believe his brother also got time. Johns? Yes. Because after
0: they went to the Brown Cabin, they then went to his, his brother's house and he right. helped them come up with an alibi. and Allegedly,
1: um, but... He- he knew where he was in Mexico as well, correct? Weren't oh. the pol- I believe that that's how they found him. Right. The police were following the brother.
0: Oh. You know, I didn't read too much about that because, to be quite honest, I don't give a fuck about John Ortiz Kehoe. Um, for me, the story was very much about Rose Agreed. and this awful thing that happened to her. So I didn't, you know, I, I he didn't get a lot of attention in the story for a reason, yep. even
1: though it's kind of about him. Right. So, big question. Yes, Jen is like top notch researcher, mm-hmm. and she keeps things from me.
0: I try. I want your reaction to be genuine.
1: And we have gone back and forth. Do we think the keyhoes are related? Mm-hmm. So, are the keyhole boys related, John and Andrew?
0: Oh, my God. Okay. So I had to phone in a lifeline to get an answer on that. (laughs) Um, I recruited the assistance of local historian Melissa Doss, who has years of experience doing ancestral research. She also happens to be my cousin, but that's really (laughs) beside the point. (laughs) Hi, Melissa. So Andrew and John Kehoe are definitely not related through a grandparent-grandchild connection. That part I already knew because Andrew Kehoe didn't have any children. Right. Um, they are also not related through an uncle-nephew connection. We were able to rule that out through research. They are not related through any members of the Kehoe family after Kehoe's emigrated immigrated, emigrated, emigrated came to the United States <laughs> from Ireland in the eighteen hundreds. Um, we couldn't rule out the connection completely. It's possible that they're like 17th cousins five times removed or some shit. Um, but no proof, but no proof that they are related. So okay. we weren't able to prove that they are related. We were able to prove that they are not related closely and that if they are related, it is through keyhoes from Ireland before they came to the U.S. Okay. You got, so, went way back. Yes. And still, you know, still couldn't I mean, the connection. 1800s sure. record keeping was not on point. <laughs> was um, So the bottom line is the fact that two wicked men with the last name Kehoe wound up becoming horrific murderers in mid-Michigan is truly just a coincidence. Um, although they are not the only killer Kehos. Really? No, ma'am. Chevy Kehoe is a white supremacist serving three consecutive life sentences in federal prison for the kidnapping, torture, and murder of William Mueller, his wife, and their eight-year-old daughter in January of 1996, when Kehoe was just 23 years old. And here's a twist. Multiple people, including Kehoe's own brother, have accused him of being involved in, or at least having knowledge of, the Oklahoma City bombing in 1995 because he was an associate of Timothy McVeigh's. Stop. True story. Now, is he related to any of them? I don't know. (laughs) I I tapped out my lifeline on Andrew and John, so I don't know. But I mean, how weird, right? The bombing aspect. Right. And a Kehoe being attached. That's crazy. And then there's Michelle Kehoe, an Iowa mother who attempted murder-suicide in 2008 by slashing the throats of her two sons, then her own, in an attempt to save them from a life of misery. Her two-year-old died, but her older son survived and testified against her, and she was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. So
1: that's pretty fucked up, right? That is beyond.
0: Now, to be fair, though, there are plenty of people with the last name Kehoe that are not murderers. In fact, uh, there are almost 10,000 Kehos in the United States today, and I'm sure most of them are perfectly lovely people. Only four murderers in the lot. That's not too bad, bad. right?
1: Four out of thousands. In comparison, there are
0: only (laughs) 122 people in the United States that share Danny's maiden name. I did your maiden name, uh, since we're talking about
1: bloodlines, right? Yeah. So the there's bad not news is you
0: guys are all related. Uh, the good news is none of you are killers.
1: Oh yay yay! That's really funny.
0: My maiden name, on the other hand, oh. there are eight hundred and sixty-five thousand. That's crazy. Eight hundred and seventy-seven of us in the U.S. So none of us are related. Uh, but 17 of us are featured on the Murderpedia website so watch the fuck out for me (laughs) that is hilarious well thank you guys for making us a part of your day remember to rate And subscribe to the podcast and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Podcast.
1: You can also find us online at SoDeadPodcast.com. And email us your feedback and story ideas to SoDeadPodcast at gmail.com. So
0: I saw this quote the other day. We're going to start closing the show out a little bit differently um, because I found this quote and I don't know where it came from, but I love it. I love it. The whole quote, and we're not going to do the whole thing every time because we already talk too much. I talk too much. No. Um, the whole code, quote is, just because you're different doesn't mean you're not beautiful. So go out there and shine, you magnificent what the fucks. So what I have to
1: say to you guys today is get out there and shine. You magnificent what the fucks. Goodbye. Goodbye.